we're going to read today from the book of Acts, the second chapter, if you would, please. I am so thankful for the Word of God. It's life to me. I, I was just thinking this week, I was driving around and had the Word of the Lord playing in my truck. And I was talking to the Lord, list, just listening to the Scripture. And I said, Lord, I don't know what I would do without your Word. I, I can't imagine where my life would be today. Amen. I may get choked up just telling you. I, I, I can't imagine how different my life would be if I didn't have the word. Now, I thank, I thank the Lord today not only for his word, but for every man that's ever preached the word of God to me. Amen. I'm thankful today for the word of the Lord that's been preached in my life, and I'm grateful for it. Acts, the second chapter, if you're there, say amen. amen. Acts chapter 2, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Somebody say amen. amen. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. Thank God for John the Baptist's prophecy being fulfilled. For I baptize you with water. But there's one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And did the fire fall on the day of Pentecost? Amen. And so there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all. Somebody say all. all. It was not a portion of them, it was not 80% of them, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the televangelist taught them how. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, as we continue to read through this chapter, we, we discover those who were in the city of Jerusalem for the traveling feast of Pentecost. There were many in the city for the feast of Pentecost, and they began to hear the disciples that stumbled out of the upper room that day speak in tongues in their own languages, and they were confounded. So there is power in understanding, which later is confirmed in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, that when tongues go forth, it is not just for the believer, but for the unbeliever, that the unbeliever would hear. And so we understand tongues are not confusing. There is modern doctrine that goes around saying we don't need to speak in tongues anymore because it confuses the lost. I want to tell you what it did. It did not confuse the lost. It caused them to raise questions, what is this? There is a, a, a definite mark. There is a definite mark in the difference of a life of someone who has been filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so I would like to draw my text today very quickly. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. They said to Peter, and not just him alone, but to the rest of the apostles. He was not standing alone. There was agreement among the twelve. 
Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, Repent. Be baptized. Every one of you, if you would like to. It's an optional outward profession of an inward faith. Be baptized, every one of you. Somebody shout, that's me. In the name of Jesus Christ, the only saving name, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, to your children, to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And I would have liked to have been here for the rest of this because it said, and with many other words, did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word, they were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000. Verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. I want to talk to you today about this subject that you probably saw a lot on your li- uh, in your childhood. If you ever saw Leave it to Beaver um, or Andy Griffith, to be continued. <laughs> to be continued. You may be seated. Thank you for standing so long. I want to talk to you today from the subject to be continued. So I, I, I want to slowly work my way in today to where we... Uh, drew our text, and um, I, I want to be very, very careful how I make this approach today because um, I, I want it to be crystal clear exactly what I'm drawing from and where I'm trying to go. Uh, but I, I want to draw a picture for you, if I can, that is so easy to miss because we are quick to rejoice over Acts, the second chapter. I've preached meetings with a room full of people who had the Holy Ghost, have been baptized in Jesus' name, and there may be two or three people in the whole room that don't have the Holy Ghost. And honest to God, I have stepped to the pulpit and said, let's turn to the book of Acts chapter 2, and the place goes bananas. And you start reading, and when the day of Pentecost, and you can do it with your preacher voice too, you know, you when you really want them to move, you do it with your prayer. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and people go insane. It's like we Pentecostal people are so elated about the new birth experience. But I want to tell you where I think we struggle. I think we've got the new birth down. I, I think the new birth is not even an issue. Like there's, we're all convinced here today, you must be born again and you must be born again of water and spirit. But I want to tell you what new birth produces is new life. So we're not hung up on the new birth. I think where we get confused is what does new life look like? What does it look like after I've been born again? Is there something different that God requires of me than he did before I was born again? Or can I be born again and just continue doing what I've always done and be what I've always been and go where I've always went and say what I always said, drink what I always drank, wear what I always wear, and just be me? Oh, my. Is this what you expected on Sunday morning? feels a little Wednesday night-ish. 
The issue is not being born again. You must be. You have to be. And we know what it takes to do that. But the issue is that we rejoice so much about being born again. And we rejoice about the angels in heaven rejoicing when a sinner repents. But what does it mean when that sinner repents? How do you celebrate true teshuva, true repentance, and continue to live the same way that you've always lived? And I want to tell you today that tongue talking doesn't make you holy any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Somebody say, make it plain, Pastor. It's, you, you know, as a little kid growing up, Bishop Bingham uh, would try, we went m- many, many times, I don't know how many times, probably a dozen times or so, when Barnum and Bailey's uh, circus came to Indianapolis, we would go. It was a good snow cone night, you know, we'd go get the red, white, and blue snow cone, and, and we'd watch lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And uh, uh, I used to look at circus performers, and I would think, how neat that was for them to do that. And, and I want to tell you something. I, I'm, I'm about to make a point to you here. I have observed many, many people that were able to, uh, th- they were able to perform at a circus. I, I watched families of trapeze artists that would do the loop-de-doops. And I, everybody, you'd hear the whole place go, <gasps> as they turn loose. And then this one swung the right way and they grabbed their arms. And anybody ever seen that before? It's incredible. And so I, I felt like I was, um, I, I felt like I was competent uh, as a child. I, I would look at that and I would watch him do that, and I'd think, "Well, I, I can do that." <laughs> they they had those really cool seesaw things, you know, where one would stand on one end and they would jump off and they would hit it, and the dude on this end would jump up in the air and when he would come down. It, and I was like, "I do stuff like that at Falls Park." And all I was trying to do was just hang on when the big dude on the other end was like pushing it down. And I'm like, I'm just trying to hang on. Then they laugh at the bottom. They're like, ha ha, you're stuck. And, and, and I, I want to tell you guys something. Please don't let this break your heart because I know some of you really believe in your pastor. But going to a circus did not make me a professional circus performer. In my mind, I thought maybe I could do it. But I want to tell you that going to church on Sunday does not make you a Christian. You can watch people dance and shout and you can do your best imitation of them. And you can even dress like them. If you really want to dress up like a clown, you can do it. But until you've been trained to be a clown, you're not a clown. Although there are several people that, never mind. I think they missed their calling. I want to tell you today, child of God, that there is so much more to living for God than just showing up. It's vitally important to show up. you got to be here. You need to be in the house of the Lord. But there's got to be something in you that's deeper, that, that manifests beyond a Sunday morning or a Sunday night encounter with God that lasts beyond saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, I go to church. Then, then you're a clown if you go to the circus. I'm just being honest with you today. I used to work at a golf course. 
And uh, I always tried to dress nice, you know, I wanted to look like I was dressing like a golfer and, and um, that's about all I could ever do was dress like one. But people would walk in and I'd be standing behind the counter in my, in my golf attire. I wasn't planning on playing golf that day because I was stuck inside. But people would walk in and they would say, are you the pro here? Well, since you asked, no, I'm not. And, and, and I looked like one. Uh, Josh and I went and played golf some time ago, and, and I was on the, the first tee, and I actually hit a really, really good shot. We both, I love that on the first tee when people are watching and you hit a great shot. And we both hit a really good shot, and the guy standing there, the starter on the tee box, he goes, are, are you a pro? I mean, I should have said yes. I said, uh, no, sir. He goes, oh, okay. Well, you were dressed like one. You guys had a good shot. I thought maybe you were a pro. Listen, just because I go to the golf course don't make me a pro. I, you're like, okay, pastor, we get it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm saying the same thing a different way over and over because I want you to get it. You don't just go to the upper room but get labeled with the people at Antioch as a Christian. There was something that was required of them when they walked out of the upper room that he did not just fill them with the Holy Ghost so that they could walk around Jerusalem and say, yeah, we believe in the Messiah. We believe that he is God manifest in the flesh. We believe you got to be filled with the Spirit. Here's what you need to understand is that I think what's really happened to us in the North American church is that it doesn't cost us what it cost them and because we're not as invested as they were and what it cost them it's easier for us to disregard it and throw it away I don't I don't know if we truly realize how much it cost them to walk out of that upper room speaking in other tongues there were two kingdoms that were pressing against them the Romans were pressing against them and the kingdom of the Jews were pressing against them. They had, they had Herod pressing against them because it brought disorder to the kingdom. And Herod had already had to deal with John the Baptist. And we all know exactly what Herod did with John the Baptist when he came preaching a different kingdom and a different structure and a different order. He cut his head off. But we live in this mindset as apostolics that we have been persecuted because people look at us and say we dress differently. Well, my kid had to go to school and they were the only one in the school that looked like that. Listen, I'm, I'm going to tell you all something. I don't think we understand. I, I really don't think we understand the fear that had to grip the hearts of these precious people of God when they walked out of the upper room and they had something in them that was so powerful, they knew if people found out in the higher up what was going on that they risked losing their lives. But they believed in the transformational power of the Holy Ghost so much that if it cost them everything, it still wasn't too expensive. So the conflict between the earthly kingdoms, the Jews were waiting on the Messiah to transform the earthly kingdom. And the Romans were trying to keep control of the Jews and be certain that 
their kingdom didn't become too powerful. And so there was a great war that I don't have time to go into really, but there was a struggle, a war going on in the hearts of this leadership that if these people get their Messiah and he really does uh, really does restore Israel, then we're in trouble. We, we know that we're in trouble. So we don't want them to know how much power they really have. But the Jews were in a place where uh, if, if, if at all, if at all, the freedoms they had were their religious freedoms and if they were encroached at all by some new manifestation of deity in the earth, then they were going to lose the power that they had with the Roman government. And so it was interesting how how they had to deal with this. Well, you know, it's our tradition that, that allows us to be here every day. and It's our tradition that allows us to pray like this and to at least have our time with God. But this new sect of people that are Christ followers, they have bought into the, to the lie. They're, they're drunk on the new wine. These people, they're messing up the system and it's going to cause conflict in the kingdom. And so I want to tell you something today that needs to be restated over and over and over and over and over that the church of the living God was never meant to be an extension of a modern culture now this is going to make me sound old fashioned I understand that but listen to what I'm telling you. There are things, I preach this often, there are things that I thank God we have and I don't want to live without. I don't want to shut the air off in here today so that I can feel like a martyr for Jesus. I'm glad for air conditioning. And the church said amen. But understand me when I tell you that there are things now that we have replaced the power of God with in modern churches we have our ability to plan things and, and we got certain lights that have to be a certain way and, and we've learned how to move the moods of people with lighting with certain music and if we don't have that then we just don't have service and if, if the air conditioner goes out then we'll cancel church and if our stage lighting breaks then we just don't have church because we got to have the theater and the production part of it to make it happen. Listen to what I'm telling you right now that if all of the donuts and the cookies in Madison County disappear and we can't serve donuts and coffee we still got to have church but the problem comes when when we start trying to make the kingdom of God and, and I want this to be very very plain but when we cannot make the kingdom of God fit culturally with people we feel like that we're going to miss people because they don't find us culturally relevant well welcome to the kingdom of God there was not one thing, hear me when I tell you today, there was not one thing about what happened in the upper room on the day of Pentecost that was culturally relevant with what was happening in Jerusalem at that time. Not one. It was such a powerful moment and transition in time that people were willing to kill one group for believing it and that group was willing to die if they had to to keep believing it my 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 this is the kind of preaching right here that'll cause people to say I can't wait for Sunday night hopefully it gets better so listen to what I'm telling you today they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and that's a reason to dance and shout. Thank God for it. Anybody in here ever been filled with the Holy Ghost? Isn't that awesome? Anybody here know what it feels like for the joy of the Lord to fill your soul? 
Anybody here remember the first time you spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance? I believe the Bible way that you got to speak in other tongues when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I believe that. I believe it's biblical and I believe it's there. But I want to go a little deeper with this and tell you today that God did not fill you with the Holy Ghost for you to be a tongue talker. Now we know if you receive the Holy Ghost, you will speak in other tongues. But that was not his reason for filling us. In Acts, the first chapter, as he's leaving his disciples behind and he is ascending back to his rightful place at the throne of God, the scripture tells us in Acts 1 and 8 that he said to them, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Listen, he gave them tongues as a sign, but the tongues were not the part of the prophecy that he was leaving them with in his last words. He said, I have given you power when you receive the Holy Ghost you're going to be endued with power you're going to be endued with power he did not say you're going to be endued with gifts you ever met somebody that was full of potential but when you walk out of the room you just kind of shake your head like they're never going to get it Sometimes I feel like that's how God has felt about me at times in my life. He filled me with the power of the Holy Ghost. But I was just happy to be a tongue talker. I was happy to get up and preach to a bunch of people who have already been saved that rejoice over what's already happened to them. But I want to remind you that... The Apostle Peter was not walking into a bunch of houses and synagogues to preach to people that agreed with what he was preaching. And this is kind of the structure of the modern day church. Let's get as many people together that can agree with us as we can find. Because it's dangerous. Oh, Lord. It's dangerous if we get to the place where we actually have to start answering questions With people that don't agree with everything that we teach. Do you know that there were schisms in the body with people? Matter of fact, you can look at it if you want to. Paul and Barnabas were going at it because they wanted, uh, Barnabas wanted John Mark to go with them. They were fighting together. It ended up peaceful, but they were fighting. Peter and, and, and Paul were fighting over circumcision. There were things that they couldn't quite get together on at the beginning that they actually had to work out. They were all filled with the same Holy Ghost, had been baptized in the same name, but they were still trying to figure out what was going on in the body until at least they could get together and agree on that and that's why when Paul wrote uh, in the first Corinthian letter he said to them we need to come together and be of the same mind and the same judgment and we need to speak the same thing but understand me when I tell you this today it is not all about filling up a church with a bunch of people that feel exactly the same way that I feel the Lord did not tell us to just fill up churches with people that feel the way we feel he said to go out into the highways and the byways and to compel them to come that the house may be filled. It's scary to me when I look at at the modern church because everybody wants the gifts of God. And the focus becomes the gifts. Well, don't you know that we were commanded by the apostle to seek the best gifts? Yes, we were, but that's after you have sought the giver. 
And when the gifts replace the power of the giver, we are nothing more than selfish children that are always wanting more and more and more. I want to tell you today that God did not invest the greatest gift that mankind has ever known into the hearts of humanity so that we could walk around proud as peacocks and say, well, we got the truth and they don't. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? So what transpired that caused the people who did not believe what they believed to see the difference? And here's where we're at today. I believe it with all my heart. And I'm going to be brutally honest with you about some of my opinions that I've got today. And I I don't know how else to do this. But this is why I struggle so much with the church wanting to become like the world. We become like the world so that we can win the world. There is zero, somebody shout zero. Zero. There is zero scriptural precedent for the church becoming worldly to win the world. And I'm going to tell you what else there, there, there's precedent, but it's in the opposite direction of people that at one time they preached things and held fast to things and they turned it loose. And, and, and the precedent that they're hoping for that they will set is that if they relinquish all of that and get rid of the heavy stuff, then their church will grow and expand and they'll blow the roof off. Let me tell you what the precedent actually says is that for the ones that succeed, if there's one that succeeds that turns loose of godliness and separation and righteousness and holiness, if there's one that succeeds, I'll show you 50 that fail. Well, that was popular right there, wasn't it? The fact of the matter is the world is not looking for a church that believes less. And I'm going to tell you why. Because everywhere the apostles went, signs confirmed the word. What caused people to believe was the signs that confirmed the word. And so here it comes. I'm I'm just going to preach to you. What happens is when you don't preach the kind of word that produces signs, then you you, you start trying to preach a word that at least produces followers. Somebody say amen or oh me. Because it's easier to make followers than it is disciples. It's easier to connect with people on their level. Oh, of course. He's a lucky charms kind of God. Come on in. Have your cereal with us. I'm frustrated when I think of what we've made the house of prayer in the 21st century. I I, I get so frustrated with it when I think of what the house of prayer has become. It breaks my heart, and I know it has to break the heart of God, the things that we do in the name of God. And it's not producing anything in the lives of people, but the ability to feel comfortable in who they are and to stay in what they've always been and just relax and say, well, he accepts me just as I am. Oh, my. It's tough on a Sunday morning, isn't it? How do you know, Pastor? Because I'm looking at you looking at me. I got a few in here that I would swear and declare openly that you've been baptized in pickle juice this Sunday morning. I like being comfortable, Pastor. I like being professional Pentecostal. 
I enjoy being able to fold my hands and relax and just let the kingdom of God advance as it will. The problem is that the kingdom don't advance without men and women. When we say the church is going to do this and the church is going to do that and God's going to do this in the church, we're talking about us. We're not talking about an establishment, some figment of our imagination like this fake deal out there. Well, God's going to do this through the church. When I say that, it's an indictment against me that if God's going to use the church, God's going to have to use me to do it. It's heavy. It's a weight that's so heavy to bear. Because we're carrying the kingdom weight in the world. But I want to ask you this question today. Why in the world would he fill us with the Holy Ghost if he didn't expect us to walk in Holy Ghost power? Now here's the part nobody likes. Because we love to rejoice in the Holy Ghost power thing, right? There's power. That, that's right. Come on. At least say amen so I know you're alive right now. I'll even take a good old Baptist nod right now if I can get one. Somebody say there's power. How many of you are glad there's power in the Holy Ghost? It's a lot better when I'm preaching about miracles, signs, and wonders, man. Y'all like that a lot better. You shall receive power, Acts 1 and 8, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me. And he lays the plan out. It's fallen first in Jerusalem. Then it's going to spread through the, through the whole area in Judea. And then I'm going to do a work in Samaria. He talks about, uh, he talks about uh, Samaria and he talks about Acts 10 right here. Like It's amazing. He talks about the, the Gentile. He said it's going to happen in the uttermost parts of the earth. He gives the prophetic deal. But I think what we're missing is we always look at it as God is an American and so he had to speak in English. Now let me tell you what we're rejoicing about, and I've preached sermons about, you know that word power, that power, uh, that word power in the Greek is dunamis. You know what dunamis is? That's where we get the word dynamite. You're going to have dynamite. I mean, I've preached it, man. It's explosive power. There's nothing like the power of the Holy Ghost. I've preached it and preached it until people are running the aisles and doing backflips. You're going to receive explosive power. It's dynamite power. You can't sit still when you get the power. You can't just sit on a pew when you get power. And people get up and get the hook about Whoa! I got the power. For what? What's the, like, I've got power. Yay! What are we going to do with it? Woo-wee! We are the most powerful movement in the earth. Yeah, but we don't ever want to fight. And when the fight comes, we just sit down and say, well, I'm going to let the power of the Holy Ghost handle that. How does the power of the Holy Ghost handle it? Do you know why we rejoice about Peter getting out of prison when an angel smites him and stands him up and walks him through two wards at an iron gate? Do you know why we shout about that? Because he was in prison. Why did he go to prison? Did he punch somebody in the face? When there was a public display of anti-authority and say, I'll show you, punk. Oh, no. He actually just exercised power. And when they exercised power, they said, 
We don't want you preaching or teaching anymore in that name. So they went home and said, well, if that's what the government wants, then that's what we'll do. Okay, church, here I am. I'm going to preach. It was never the intention of God's church to live their lives lined up with the government. There's going to come a time in your life that your Christian walk is going to separate you from government. And the whole jibber-jabber, weak, limp-wristed thing about separation of church and state, that's always used on the wrong side of the coin. Well, separation of church and state, you got to keep church separate from what we're doing. I think you're missing it. Go back and read the language and the nature of it. It was to keep the state from being able to mess with the church, not the church from messing with the state. And all my constitutionalists are like, ooh, pastor. Listen to what I'm telling you right now. The greatest revivals ever recorded in history began in the book of Acts with a government that was anti-Christ. Woo-wee. That went over like a zipper at a Velcro convention. Pastor, I'm just telling you, if this government keeps up what they're doing right now, the church is in trouble. Where'd you read that? Well, do you know what they're coming after? Yeah, I know exactly what they're coming after. I know exactly what they're coming after. And they've been trying to come after it since the 1970s. I'm talking about just, just, just the church. I'm talking about, you, you, you know what the Johnson Act is? It was named after President Lyndon B. Johnson. You know what the Johnson Act is? Go look it up. They don't want churches to be tax-exempt anymore. Because they want to shut the doors of them. They either want to be able to control them or shut them down. And guess what? About every couple of terms when new presidents are elected, guess what they try to revive again? Oh, God, here he goes on politics. Well, somebody needs to say something. I'm just telling you, we've already been through this for a long time, and I'm not going to get sidetracked and tell it, but I'm just telling you, it's a sad day when people are more afraid of a Delta variant than they are eternity in hell. Just being honest with you. People standing in line to get shots in their arm. But they'll stand in line on a Sunday to go somewhere else instead of the house of God. I'm telling you right now, if you don't ever get a shot in your arm, you need a good dose of the Holy Ghost every day of your life. I got more faith in the power of God than I've ever had in a dose of anything they can put in me. Well, what if you can't travel? That's why we've had missionaries. That's why there's apostolic people preaching all around the world. The church is not dying. I almost hate to use names because people watch all the time. And so I, let me just... Let me just say, we have a certain missionary that has been, been stuck at home for all, all this season, for most of this time. And, and you know, people were, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I want to tell you all something. Just something that I've noticed that in that field, uh, Brother Lang, I've noticed that there have been 
Baptisms every week. People receiving the Holy Ghost every week. New churches are being born. New churches are being built. And I'm looking at this, and the world, the, the, the world's saying, oh, I'm telling you right now that the, the church is going to get shut down. Well, it's not this church. Because this church has been predestined that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. So let Rome say what they're going to say. And let... It's time for us to quit playing political sides and start answering the question, who is on the Lord's side? I saw this week in another, in, in another one of our fields, I saw people, listen, honest to God, I'm being serious. I saw people in, in another nation, I saw pictures of it, that they were having to get checked for for cuss word 19 before they were allowed to even walk into the training session of ministry. They had to get tested to leave their house to go in. It was not in America. And, and, I, I, and, and they were having to wear masks to do it. And if, if you know me outside the pulpit, you know how I feel about all that. So I'm going to let that lay. But I'm going to tell you what's amazing about it. I know you're not going to believe this, but these people said, if they got to stick that dumb thing up my nose for me to go, I'm going to church. I'm going. I, are, are you hearing what I'm saying? So when we read 2 and 42, they continued. They continued. Listen. They, this is going to hurt somebody's feelings right here. They continued even after they found out how much it cost. When they had been told, we will kill you if we hear you speak in that name again, they continued. Stephen, you've been told. Yes, I have. But as the stones are pelting him, the Bible said that he looks up into the heavens with stones beating him in his brains, breaking bones in his body. And he says, Lord, lay it not to their charge. How do you say that? Do you understand what he was looking at? I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I want to show you a little something that's interesting here. And I'm going to get in and get out because i got to get this off. i got to, I got to get this done. Listen, Hebrews tells us that once our high priest had offered, this was part of the deal. The high priest in the Old Testament, they, once they had cleansed themselves and they, they could not sit down until they had offered. They had been cleansed and they could not sit down until they had made the offering. Once the offering was completed, I'm giving you like the kindergarten version. Once the offering was completed, they had finished making the offering for sin. Then when they walked out, then they were allowed to sit down and rest. But they could not do that until, and that's why Hebrews tells us that our high priest, after he had offered once, that he sat down at the right hand, or in other words, the rightful place. It was a place of power, the anthropomorphism that is used here for the right hand of God. He sat seated at the right hand of power, his rightful place with God. And so 
We understand that after he offered and he ascends to the mercy seat in heaven, that he sits down. We understand that. That's what the writer of the Hebrews said. But I want you to notice something that's very, very interesting. When Stephen looks up into the heavens in that same exact position at the rightful place, the right hand of power, Stephen looks up into the heavens, but he does not see the Messiah sitting down. Brother Snow, the scripture said that he saw Jesus standing at the right hand. What? He had already sat down. Why was he standing up? And that's when Stephen teaches us the lesson that if we're not careful, we're going to miss. Yes, he sat down after he offered. But here's what you need to know, Stephen. If you'll stand for him, he'll stand for you. Stephen looked up into the heavens and he saw him standing. And when he saw him standing in his glory and all the power around the throne, he said, oh my God, he's standing for me. Lord, don't lay this to their charge. I'm not afraid of what men can do to me. Do you understand that while you're stoning me, I'm already looking into that city whose builder and maker is God. I'm not stuck here. Well, my opinion is that this is this with the government. My opinion is this is that with the virus and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm so sick of hearing opinions. I'm going to tell you right now, this whole thing is a distraction to get our eyes off that throne. Do whatever you got to do. Go to work. Make it happen. You got to pay your bills. Do it. Go get it. Get after it. If you want to travel to a faraway distant land... You're probably going to get your ticket reimbursed. Because by the time you figure out where you're going to go, they're going to change their mind, not let you in. I got stuck last year with so much money on my Delta account. Every preaching engagement I had fly around this country canceled. So Delta said, we don't care what, what platinum or whatever you got we don't we don't care what you got we're not giving money back it's just going to be an e-credit on your account and i'm like oh cool what's so great about this got thousands of dollars worth of airplane tickets and can't go anywhere they're smart they are kept our money so you know what i'm gonna do this is gonna sound cheesy to some of y'all but i i understand that i know what i risk but i'm gonna tell you right now I'm thankful for every opportunity we have to travel. And I tell my wife and family frequently, my girls called me on the other night. I'm believing God's going to open up these nations for us and we're going to go back in. But I want to tell you, I'm not counting on that flight nearly as much as I am my last one. Because I've already got a ticket and he's not going to have to reimburse me when I got filled with the Holy Ghost. And I received power after the Holy Ghost came on me. I booked a one-way ticket and I'm never coming back. I'm not coming. Oh my God. The only time I come back will be in the second coming when I rule and reign with him in the earth and the Antichrist ceases and the powers of darkness are silenced forever and the accuser of the brethren is cast down so with this I'm, I'm hurrying I, I gotta finish I have no clue what time I started so I'm just gonna hurry you shall receive power somebody shout power, power. after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you 
and you shall be witnesses unto me. Jerusalem, Judea. This thing's going to go through the whole earth. When he said that, Elder, he was talking about India. He was talking about Burma. He was talking about the Philippines. He was talking about China. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. He was talking about North, North Korea. I've never seen a government yet, Brother Looper, that could stop the gospel. Never. Ain't going to happen. But I'm going to tell you what we don't like. You shall receive power. The word power is dunamis, dynamite. You shall be witnesses. Somebody say witnesses. The word is M-A-R-T-U-S in the Greek. Martis. You should be witnesses. Martis. This is where the word martyr comes from. He said, you shall receive power after you receive the Holy Ghost. That you are no longer afraid to die for me. So can I ask a really heavy question as I close on this Sunday morning? I, I'm, I'm, I'm finishing up. Why is it so many of us want to dance and shout at the chance to die for him? When so few will even jump at the chance to live for him. You guys have heard me preach in this church, this pulpit for many, many years. About apocalyptic heroes. They start talking about, well, when the mark of the beast comes, I won't take it. I'm going to stand for Jesus. I'm like, you won't even stand for him in high school. Well, I'm just telling you right now, they'd have to hold a gun to my head to, to get you to what? Say you're not a Christian? So, so then we can announce that we're a Christian, then we can denounce that we're a Christian. Did anything really change except for how we said it? Because they didn't continue in just saying we're a Christian. As a matter of fact, it's not even until Antioch that they had the word Christian that ever came alive. All they knew was that their lives had been transformed. And when Paul got knocked off of his animal and laid down on the ground and his eyes were blinded, it took a sign to confirm that the very God, Jehovah, robed himself in the flesh. Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And it was the same God that used Ananias to touch his eyes and to remove that from his eyes. What was it that convinced him? It was the sign. Not because Peter said, Hey, Saul, guess what? Na-na-na-na. I love Jesus, you don't. I'm, I'm right in my doctrine, you're off. Oh, no. Because some people are not going to be convinced by small talk. They're going to have to experience the power of the lion of the tribe of Judah. And they're going to do that through you and me. I figured today that at this point in the sermon, we were either going to need a resurrection or a really good song. And right now, I could probably use a little bit of both. But I want to tell you why we need a song. It's because tradition says if we're going to have a prayer service, then we have to have a song. It just got real up in here. There's some people in here today that may concur with, with what I'm saying if they've been in the church for a long time. But I just want to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you, when I was a kid, 
There would be sermons kind of like the one I'm preaching to you today about the same kind of content that would be preached. That before there was an altar call given, somebody would have their hand gripped so tightly on the back of the pew, we called it white knuckle preaching. And I would be, someone would be preaching about eternity like I'm talking to you right now. And someone would finally give up and turn that pew loose. And they would get up. They didn't care what anybody thought about them. They didn't care what anybody said about them. But they'd get up and make their way down to the altar. Mother, let's just do uh, only one life so soon it will pass. I'd like for us to stand today. Listen, we, we got traditions. Now we've got to the place where, and, and I'm not saying it's to be ugly, I just know how it works. If every head's not bowed and every eye's not closed, then we feel ashamed to step out and say, okay, Lord, today. But I'm just curious if there's anybody in this house today that's willing to say, Lord, whatever I feel in this house on Sunday, I'm going to continue it through the week. I'm going to continue it in the months ahead. I'm going to continue it until you're coming. This is not just about a satisfy me, fill me, thrill me. I'm asking you, God, to restore that power in me to lose the fear of what men say. Father, I want to stand for truth. I want to live for God. I'm tired of pleasing myself. I'm tired of pleasing my own life. God, I want to give you my best. I'm tired of religion. I'm tired of church hopping. 